Ethos New York Nick podcast, Andre Gallagher. Well, the Knicks pulled off this victory against Memphis. Memphis is playing with the Skeleton Crew. Knicks is playing with the Skeleton Crew. But the Knicks have more talent on the floor, in theory, than Memphis. This is a game they had to win. Had to win. With Brunson on the floor, Hardenstein on the floor, Vivo, all these guys had to win this game. Start the game off strong. Build the lead all the way up to about 29 points, I believe it was. And then up 20 in the fourth quarter, they had lost some of the lead. Up 20 in the fourth quarter at the like eight-minute mark, Jalen Brunson returns to the game. Now, at the time, I didn't think much of it other than this was an opportunity for the Knicks to blow this team out and keep Brunson on the bench. Up 28 minutes ago, a lot of people don't put Brunson back in the game. They just lost a good chunk of the lead. Maybe you don't see the average person. You don't see them losing another 20 points in eight minutes. But Tibbs is a professional NBA head coach. He's not somebody sitting on their couch with a, a bag of popcorn, potato chips on their phone, talking to their wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, or whatever, playing with their kids, petting their dog, saying, oh, the game's over. It's 20-point lead. Let me turn the channel. Tibbs has to get this win. He has to eliminate the possibility the Knicks will lose. 20-point lead with eight minutes to go when the other team is on a, a run already? It's a little bit scary, especially when you know the players on the floor do not generate offense very well without Jalen Brunson. So he puts Brunson back in the game. Well, the Knicks lose another 10 points off that lead. With Brunson in the game. So now. It's a 10 point game. And Jalen Brunson. Rolls his ankle. Badly. Badly. It's all twisted up. Going to the basket. It rolled. While his his legs were extended. So. It really looks like it got stretched out. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. You know, I'm not a doctor. It looked really, really bad. Jalen got up, walked off the court under his own power, walked to the locker room under his own power. The Knicks continued to lose this lead. I think it got down to four or five. I want to say five. It was in that range. DiVincenzo hit a big shot during that stretch. Huge shot. Devo stepped up, by the way, and he's been really impressive in order to put the game away. And then the Knicks ended up putting the game away. There was a couple minutes left to go in that game when the score was right around 5, 6, 7. A couple minutes. So the game was hanging in the balance. I saw a tweet from somebody. Uh, he said <laughs> he said has anyone blamed Tibbs yet and I read this tweet and 
I chuckled to myself because I was like, nah, nobody's going to play since they almost lost the game. Lo and behold, what do I see next? A whole bunch of tweets blaming Tibbs for having Brunson in in a 20-point game. Now, one guy was, you know, I'm not going to shout him out, you know. One guy, I've seen him tweet before. He's pretty, you know, conscientious, reasonable, Nick fan. He said, no NBA coach is going to put back one of their all-stars in it. With eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter and a 20-point lead. Someone answered him or responded to him. And he said, well, they just lost a portion of the league. That's why he came back in the game. They were losing the league. He argued again. But it was still a 20-point lead with eight minutes to go. So in a vacuum, everything I just said to you, that might make sense to you. Right? But if you were watching the game, if you were actually watching the game and you being intellectually honest, and I think he was, I just think his perspective was a little bit skewed. Because the Knicks lost the lead with Brunson in the game. They lost more than more of the lead. They lost half the lead that they had when he came in the game. They lost half of it while he was in the game. And they lost it in three minutes. So they essentially went from 20 points to 10 points in less than three minutes while Brunson was in the game before Brunson got hurt. And then they lost more of the lead after Brunson left the game. If there was ever an argument for Tibbs being right in doing what he did, it was that. If they're going to lose the lead with Brunson in the damn game, what the hell do you think is going to happen if Brunson's not in the game? You have no reasonable argument to suggest that they would have built on that lead or protected that lead with Brunson on the bench. You have no reason. There's no logical, reasonable explanation for thinking if Brunson stays on the bench, they protect that lead. You know this team struggles without Brunson on the floor to begin with when all the starters are there. You know they struggle without Brunson on the floor. And you think that they're going to, without, with everybody out, OG, Randall, Grimes, all these people out, you think that they're going to protect this lead without Jalen Brunson when you happen to know they lost 10 points off the lead with him in the game? Does that make sense to you? Does that make any sense to you? If you were going out of your way to blame Tibbs for this injury without realizing that Tibbs was actually proven right to have him in the game in order to win it, you're not being honest. You're not being honest. Now, I'm not one who defends Tibbs at every turn. I tweeted out, I think it was the Utah game. I think that was the game where Josh Hart made the joke that he was chanting for Taj Gibson to come in the game too because he was tired. He had played 43 minutes. That game, the Knicks did, they kept they kept him in the game too long, about two minutes too long. And I believe I heard Tibbs talk on this subject before. Tibbs' viewpoint is that two minutes is not, that's not, breaking anybody. 
in 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 short his viewpoint is what's the difference between 35 minutes and 37 minutes you're in the game maybe there's a difference over the course of the season you can argue that but that wasn't his argument one way or the other he's saying in a game if you're playing a game what's the difference between playing 35 minutes and 37 minutes there's two minutes in the game stay in the game two minutes secure the victory is essentially his viewpoint right and then when when challenged with the idea of okay but if the game is a blowout and you get hurt in a blowout it's like really a waste but his mindset is you can get hurt anytime anyplace it doesn't injury is a part of the game and you don't prevent injury by pulling your starters out earlier and then you can have an injury in the first two minutes of a game it's like the idea that you're preventing injury by pulling starters out early in a blowout earlier in a blowout is a little bit of fantasy land that's that's his viewpoint as best as I remember him explaining it years ago. I don't necessarily agree. I believe you don't you don't tempt fate. If you don't have to play, don't play. There's just no reason. I mean, just, but I can understand the mindset of okay, man, they can they play 82 games in theory, and they play 82 games. They play 30 minutes a game. They can get hurt at any point in time. You're basically saying that the the risk of injury is higher in the last five minutes of a game when the game is out of reach you know, what you're basically saying is there's no there's no reason to have them in the game so the risk any risk at all is too high right and i agree with that and to me to me he does keep people in the game about two minutes too long two on average two to three minutes too long there's a point where I believe the game is over. And he maybe he's using analytics to prove his point or uh, whatever you want to whatever you want to say, man. If it's a 15 point lead and there's two minutes to go in that game, that game's over. Okay? It, that game's over. <laughs> okay. All right. 20 point lead, 3 minutes to go, that game is over. Get 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 the start of that again. When Randall got hurt, that game was not over. I thought people were being disingenuous with his criticism there too. With Randall, that game wasn't over. They needed they needed to hold out for another couple of minutes, if I remember correctly. But I, I knew I know for a fact that I didn't think Randall shouldn't have been in the game at the time. But he took heat for that. But he definitely shouldn't have taken heat for this. You want to blame the team itself for giving up that lead and not not securing the game, so Brunson didn't have to come back into it. Absolutely, go ahead. You want to blame Tibbs? Oh, he didn't make the adjustments that he should have made. But whatever, man. But don't blame him for putting back a starter in a in a game where you were losing the lead and you continued to lose the lead after the starter was in the game because logic would suggest that you would have lost it even if the starter had stayed on the bench, which means he would have had to come back anyway. And you have no reason to argue different. So on that tip, another tweet. A gentleman, and he responded to me, and I'm likely not to reread the response because I don't feel like being triggered in the middle of that because it's not making any sense. He said, Tibbs needs to develop the bench. Even if it means losing the game, he needs to develop the bench so the starters don't have so much weight on them and blah, 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 blah. 
I said, man, the bench is playing the whole game. The Knicks are without OG Randall. Grimes, okay? Tonight, tonight Sims was hurt. Mitchell been hurt. The bench is playing the whole game. What the hell are you talking about? Develop the bench. The bench is playing the whole game. What bench are you trying to develop? Malachi Flynn? Richie Archidiacono? Should they have put Jacob Toppin in the game to develop the bench, man? What, what are you talking about? Deuce McBride was in the game. What are you talking about to develop the bench? The Knicks need to win the game. This is professional basketball. This is not the San Antonio Spurs. They're not out there trying to trying to develop Malachi Flynn, man. What are you talking about? In the playoffs, the bench is not playing that many minutes. Okay? I know maybe Knicks fans ain't. A lot of some of you Knicks fans ain't seen the playoffs too often. I get it. The bench is not playing too many minutes. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the playoffs. Unless there's foul trouble or injury, what's going to happen in the playoffs is this. Jalen Brunson is a 48-minute game. Jalen Brunson is going to play 40 minutes. Maybe 37. Okay? Julius Randle, a healthy Julius Randle, 37, 40 minutes. Healthy OG, 37, 40 minutes. Okay? Things might get different if, if Mitchell Robinson is... Is healthy or whatever. Things are a little wonky at the shooting guard position with Josh Hart and and uh, DiVincenzo and Grimes. Who knows who's going to play, who's not going to play. I'm going to tell you who's not getting huge minutes. Miles McBride. Okay? Malachi Flynn. They're not getting huge minutes. I don't know what you're talking about when you say develop the bench. The bench is playing all the time. They're not going to play these guys, at least. Uh, RTD and Hakuno is not playing at all. Miles McBride is going to play spot minutes in the playoffs. Malachi Flynn is probably not playing at all. Okay? Precious Achua, if Mitchell comes back and the report came out today that Mitchell is starting on-court activities after the All-Star break, that's looking good for him returning, uh, potentially. Precious Achua, if all goes as planned, is going to be a backup power forward, a backup center. And the only reason why he's going to be a backup power forward is because he's playing well defensively. That's the only reason. He wasn't even in the plans to be a backup power forward. OG was going to play the backup power forward in the rotation, just like we saw when he first got here. I think Precious might have played his way into, into the rotation, frankly. But that's neither here nor there because Mitchell's not back yet. But in theory, Precious Achua is a third-string center and a third-string power forward. And he is starting. You already know Josh Hart is playing big minutes off the bench when everybody's healthy. You already know that Devo's playing big minutes if everyone's healthy. You already know this. You know it already. You know it already. So I don't know what you, I think in your mind, develop the bench means that the more you play these guys, the better they're going to be if somebody gets hurt. No, they're going to be exactly who they are. 
Miles McBride is going to be exactly who he is. He's been playing, my friend. Maybe Malachi Flynn. But Malachi Flynn, the Knicks' hopes don't rest with Malachi Flynn. I hope you understand that. He's the third-string point guard. Grimes is not here. What shooting guard are they are they developing? Hmm? Which shooting guard are they developing on the bench? The whole front court is decimated. They're playing the entire bench. So what what sense do you make? Help me understand. It's like there's something going on in your head. It's like there's two this you know what it is? There's two things. And this is not specific to Nick fans. This is just in general. There are two two things at play here. For whatever reason, people seem to link their personal views on their own intelligence with whether or not they're right all the time. It's like if they're wrong about something, you know, to admit that they're wrong about something means that their view of their own intelligence is wrong. So they can never say that they're wrong because if they say that they're wrong, that means that they're not as smart as they think they are. But that's not how being intelligent works. You think smart people are never wrong? You're watching professional basketball. How many how many draft picks have missed? Huh? How many coaches have made mistakes? You guys say that he's making mistakes all the time. You name the coach, and I will find you players that say that they made a ton of mistakes, things they should not have done, that they did. If you can't admit, I just saw an interview. I think it was, you know, it was Udonis Haslam, Udonis Haslam, sorry, uh, talking about playing in the finals against Dirk Nowitzki, and it was a big play at the end of the game. There's Dirk Nowitzki drove to the basket and scored a big, uh, scored a, a big bucket to seal the game. And Udonis had been guarding Dirk, and his job in that series was to guard Dirk whenever he was in the game at that point. But at the last minute, Spolstra told Chris Bosh to guard Dirk, and Dirk scored. And Udonis was was pissed off. He was pissed off. He said that was his job. His job was to guard Dirk. That's what he'd been doing. That's why he was there. There was no reason for him to put Chris Bosh on him. And he scored the bucket. And he went to Spolstra and he told him how he felt. He couldn't hold it in. And Spolstra told him, yeah, I was wrong. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done that. And they all pretty much agreed that that was one of Spolstra's traits is that he had no problem admitting when he was wrong, if he made a mistake. Now, this is a guy that, what was he, he named one of the 10 best coaches in history. This is one of the coaches that everyone in the league respects, thinks he's one of the best coaches in the league. And here's a guy who readily admits that he's wrong to his players. I missed, I, I messed that up. I shouldn't have done that. But here you are, sitting on your couch, scratching your butt, telling everybody under the sun how you're supposed to coach this game. How you're supposed to run a front office. Shouldn't have traded this guy. Should trade this guy. Blah, 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 blah. And when the facts in front of you say, you know what? Maybe you should rethink that. 
You don't even want to talk about it. You just want to keep making up stuff so that you're right. The other issue is, and one that we all know from politics to fantasy sports, okay? Confirmation bias. When you decide that you believe something and you never want to let it go. You never want to let it go. And you're looking for every little piece of information that supports this thing that you believe. Those two things go together. Never wanting to be wrong and confirmation bias. You guys want to criticize Tibbs. You want to support. You want to find support for your argument that Tibbs is running players into the ground. And you're using every little bit of information that you can find that you can reach and make an argument for so that you can convince yourself that you're right. It's as simple as that. The Knicks desperately need Jalen Brunson. They could not afford for him to have gotten injured. If you want to blame somebody for tip for not tips, uh, Brunson getting hurt in this game, blame the bench. That could not hold this lead. The bench, most of whom are probably tired. Not because Tibbs is running them into the ground, but because it's no, there's no bench to put in behind them. They can't play Jacob Toppin and, and whoever else is sitting. They played Ty's Gibson tonight. They can't play all of these guys and expect to win these games. They almost lost these games. Almost lost a game. Let me take back Jacob, Top- Jacob Toppin a little bit because Jacob Toppin is actually playing pretty well. But when the game's on the line, he's not putting Jacob Toppin in the game. That's in your mind that that makes sense. That doesn't make sense to a professional coach. The most professional coaches. This guy just came out of the G League. He's barely practicing with the team. He, he doesn't even know the plays that we're running. Probably. He doesn't even understand the defensive rotations. Tibbs always talks about practice. If you're doing it in practice, I know you're going to do the game. If you're not doing the practice, you're not going to do it in the game. They got to win this game, and you want to throw Jacob Toppin in the game because he's scoring 30 points in the G League. You know who else used to score 30, 40 points in the G League? Miles McBride. You see Miles McBride anywhere close to scoring 30, 40 points in his league? It's a little bit different. A little bit different. Now, I will say this. And I said this when it came to the Laker game, too. I made the, I made the case. I know why Fournier is not playing. A lot of you think that you, you guys act like you don't understand why Fournier is not playing. Fournier is not playing because literally every time he steps on the floor, the, floor, the Knicks are in the minus. That has been the case with Fournier pretty much every time he stepped on the floor for the last two years. Okay, so if the Knicks want to win the game, they cannot they cannot plan to play Fournier for extended minutes and think they're going to win the game because their defense is going to fall apart and their defense is the only reason why they're able to stay in these games with everybody hurt. With that said, I do believe there's a place for Fournier in spot duty. I do believe it. I, I believe at the end of that Laker game, they should have put Fournier in. I 100% believe that. There was a place to put Fournier in that game. Is it fair to Fournier to drag him off the bench with five, six minutes to go in a game and say perform? No. 
And that might be why he doesn't do it. But with the Knicks playing with the skeleton crew for a few games now, I know that Tibbs isn't playing Fournier because he believes that defense is the only reason, only way they're going to stay in this game. So they need to keep the defensive players out there. And to put somebody out there who's not going to play defense, who can't play defense, let's say, and who's always a minus when he steps on the floor, is probably not going to be helpful. At least not in long stretches. And I believe, I agree with 90% of that. But when you had a game like the Laker game where you desperately needed some outside shooting, I thought that was an opportunity to throw him out there for a couple of possessions and, and, see, and see what happened. But this isn't a video game. And that sounds good on paper. And I realize that. I think they don't want him to get hurt. I don't think they want him to get hurt right before the trade deadline and mess up any deals they have sitting on the table. That's what I think. That's what I think, frankly. That's... You know, maybe, you know, somebody can let me know that doesn't make sense. Oh, they don't really want Fournier. They want his contract and blah, blah, blah. Okay. It might be something they use to get, extract more more uh, assets out of the Knicks if he's, if he's injured. Uh, he's better off not playing them. But then that also kind of contradicts the idea that the Knicks are playing every game like it's a playoff game. They're trying. They need to win every game. I keep seeing people say, oh, you know, you should start resting Resting players, you know, don't bring OJ, OG back too soon. Yeah. Bring OG back when he's ready to play. You can't afford to be out here resting guys if they can play. It's too early to be resting guys for the playoffs. That's what the All-Star break is for. The Knicks have, I think, four games left before the All-Star break. They can't go 0-4. They can't. If Brunson's not playing, you might as well rest everybody because you're not winning. I'll stand on that. If Brunson don't play, you're not winning. Now, DiVincenzo might have something to say about that, the way he finished his game out. 30 points tonight. Looked awesome. Looked awesome. He might have something to say about that. But let's be realistic. Brunson's not playing, and the Knicks ain't winning. They're not going to beat the Pacers. They're not going to beat Dallas. Uh, they play Houston. They're not beating Houston without Jalen Brunson. You can forget it. You might as well rest the whole squad. That's how big that injury was. But this, what? A lot of you guys talking about, you know, the Knicks need to make a trade right now. Listen, I was saying the same thing. But it's unlikely that any trade they make that the player is going to be playing in that Dallas game. So the deadline is the 8th. No trade made on the 8th is the player is going to be playing on Thursday. No trade made tomorrow. The player is going to be playing on Thursday. It's, It's highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely. That trade would have to happen right now. And then the guy get on a plane and maybe he can do a walkthrough with the Knicks and and play a little bit on Thursday. That's that's the best case scenario. There's no move that's going to help them before that Dallas game. So if Brunson is hurt, you might as well just rest everybody because they're not winning. Yeah, that's a rest game. And they develop the bench. Develop the bench in that game. But this deadline can't come soon enough that they're going to pull the trigger. I think the number one priority is there's no one else to initiate offense and create offense for this team if Jalen Brunson is not on the floor. There's no one else who can do it. And that's, to me, that's the priority. The Knicks have Jericho Sims, they have Precious Achua, they have Hartenstein. OG can actually play small ball five if you need him. He can obviously play power forward. If you're talking about long-term, 
then obviously you need help offensively in lieu of Randall. But that's not necessarily big man help. If everybody's healthy, you're you're kind of fine. If OG comes back, you're kind of fine in terms of minutes. You can always go small with Josh Hart, but you always have OG who can play power forward. You have Precious who has played admirably as a defensive power forward. And if Jericho Sims is there, you have a backup center. I think that's fine unless you think Mitch is not coming back. If Mitch is not coming back, then obviously you might want to want a third guy. But in the playoffs, that third guy not playing is going to be Hartenstein, Precious, slash Jericho. But right now it looks like it's Precious. OG. And if Randall's there, OG and Randall. If Randall's not there, it's going to be OG and Hart. That's just the way it's going to be. OG's going to play 40 minutes at power forward if there's no Randall. Nobody else is going to play. So all of that, you know, depth past a certain point is just it's not it's not useful. And at the guard position, no matter how many guards they have, they need a guard who can initiate offense. And again, asterisk to DiVincenzo, who seems to be adding new skills by the day. But they need a guy who's a three-level scorer. They need a guy who can put the ball in the basket, can find open people, you know, can draw can draw two, find the open man. They need that guy. They need that guy. Not because of Brunson's injury, not because of Randall's injury, because they need that guy. So I don't know who that guy's going to be at this deadline, but he's got to come. And if, and if he doesn't, I don't know if the buyout market is going to yield that guy. Like I've talked about Kyle Lowry in the buyout market. I do want Kyle Lowry on this team because I think he's a cheat code in the playoffs, but he ain't cheat code in the regular season. He ain't that guy in the regular season, that's for sure. That's for sure. And I kind of wanted Kyle Lowry if they brought in like a real shooting guard, right? And let that shoot. Because we talked about we talked about DeRozan and how you can run the offense through him in the second unit. Uh, in a situation like that, then I can see a Kyle Lowry, you know, you know, being useful. But if you don't get somebody who's going to initiate offense in that second unit, Kyle Lowry's not that guy. He's not. He's not doing that for you. I don't care how good you think Kyle Lowry is. He's not, he's not, this is not 2017 Kyle Lowry. Not even 2019 Kyle Lowry. And he's a guy who's going to give you 10, 15 minutes of bully ball in the playoffs. And that's what you, that's what you want. But that's not the guy who's going to create offense in the second unit. You can't put the ball in the basket anymore consistently. So listen, I don't want to be these guys that keep acting like, Oh, why aren't the Knicks making a trade? Now, listen, I understand these deals are probably going to come up right to the deadline. But the impatience is starting to hit me, too. It's starting to hit me, too. Because if you had that guy in this game, maybe Jalen Brunson doesn't have all that stuff on his back. You know, maybe he doesn't have to come back in the game. In all due respect to Miles McBride, the fact that he can't create offense consistently is an issue. It really is an issue, and that's what's going to keep him from from actually playing big playoff minutes, you know, they might see if they can cap, get light, light. They're not going to actually, they're not going to, you know, whoever, whoever they bring in, if they bring in somebody, that guy's playing those minutes. He's playing those minutes. He's playing those minutes, whether it's Murray, Brogdon, whoever it is, I think it's coming down to Murray, Brogdon, or Bruce Brown. I keep seeing Clarkson's name. I hope to God it's not him. I hope to God it's not him. And and the second the second 
least wanted player is Brown. I think Brown is a good we couldn't get anybody else, so we got Brown. I think I think he's I think he's a good fallback option so that you maintain the the usefulness of a con a tradable contract that's around twenty million dollars. And we've talked ad nauseum as to why that's important. So I think that getting Bruce Brown is like, hey, we couldn't do anything, so you know, here's this deal. So we moved Fournier, got him off the roster, and now we have a guy who we can play uh, and we can also trade. But I do think you've got to protect Tibbs from himself. If Bruce Brown is on the floor with Josh Hart, boy, we're going to be in trouble. Derek Rose had a funny little quote, and they asked him about Evan Fournier not playing, and Derek Rose basically shut all y'all up. So a lot of you people who've been, oh, Fournier's not playing. It's so unfair. It's a trash organization and trash coaching staff that would treat a player like that. Blah, 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 blah. Evan Fournier's making $19 million a year to not play. I know he wants to play. He's desperate to play. I get it. It's not like he ain't getting paid. He's getting paid. Right? Now, there's two sides to that coin. He wants to play. He wants to get on with his career. He wants to prove he still has it. Right, listen, we all understand that. We do. It's just that he's getting paid $19 million. And Derrick Rose said he's get, he gets to live in the city. He gets to cheer for his, be a good teammate, cheer for his team. He's making a zillion dollars. Why? What's there to complain about? <laughs> like, wh where else are you getting paid to sit down and be a good teammate? You don't even have to do anything. Of course, he wants to play. But this is not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. And I was thinking, because I said something on a uh, previous show, I said, because Bobby Marks, shout out to Bobby Marks, he suggested that the Knicks might pick up Fournier's option in the offseason if they can't trade him. Because it remains to be a value, it remains a value to them to have that contract. So to let him walk does not help the team. It doesn't give them cap space. So maintaining that $20 million contract on the roster, that tradable contract, behooves the Knicks. And I said it on the show. I was like, you know what? That'd be kind of fucked up that Fournier have to stay here on the roster another season of his career and not play. That'd be kind of jacked up. Maybe trade him just for a similar contract, which is what that Bruce Brown trade would be, just so you can, again, have a usable player. Obviously, you're not doing any favors, but you would have a player like Bruce Brown, a usable player on the roster, but you would also be letting Fournier have an opportunity to go somewhere else and play instead of kind of trapping him on the roster going into yet another season. And then I thought about it. Nobody's paying that man $19 million next year. His contract, if he gets traded, his contract is up. He's up. Nobody's paying him. He's going to get the vet. He's going to get the vet minimum. He's not getting. I'd be shocked if he got more than the vet minimum. Maybe, maybe, maybe a tick more. Maybe. He's not getting 19 million. He's not getting 15 million. He's not getting that. He's not going nowhere getting that. Nobody has cap space for that. Nobody. 
Now, if he gets traded to a team that also sees value in his contract, right? And they also see value in having that $20 million contract that they can trade around. Maybe they opt in. But if he gets traded to a team that's in a straight rebuild, that's like, hey, this is going to let him go because we, you know, or, or a team that's, you know, they got cap situation. They kind of need the flexibility. And they're like, we're not opting into his $20 million contract. We'll let him, let him rock. And to be honest with you, there's probably more teams that would opt, that would opt in so they could use his contract for a trade than teams that wouldn't. But that's debatable. But if he is in any way a free agent, he's not making that money. It behooves him to have somebody opt into that deal. Now, maybe if he knows that there's a team out there, there are other teams that will opt into that deal. So he wishes he's traded to those teams. That's one thing. But if the Knicks opt into that $20 million deal, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. Don't cry for me, Argentina. He's doing all right. At Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time. Thank <laughs> you.